0: Welcome to Sabbath School for April 18, 2020. This is the third lesson in our second quarter all about how to interpret the scriptures. We have a very exciting study today as we look at how Jesus and the early Christian leaders, the apostles, looked at scripture, how they used scripture and trusted scripture. And all of that's going to be fantastic. But before we get into that uh, lesson study, we want to go have our mission program and this week, our mission spotlight is coming to us from Bulgaria in the Trans-European Division. So take a look.
1: In the still dark and early mornings, flour and water meet. They rise with yeast and are shoved in an oven to be transformed by heat. The aroma fills the air, sending an irresistible invitation to mouth-watering delights. One by one, people come to order, to socialize, and laugh. Every day, people of all ages and different ethnicities line up at this bakery, eager to savor delicious bread. Making bread takes time and patience. It takes loving hands to mix ingredients and press them together until the dough is ready to rise and grow. So it is with people. It takes time and patience to cultivate trust and friendship, to warm their lives and invite them to follow Jesus. At the Trapezia Global Mission Urban Center of Influence in Bulgaria, staff members offer visitors more than food. Here people find room to interact and participate in a variety of courses and activities. As they make new friends, visitors are invited to become volunteers themselves. This way they can give back and help others too. Demetur is a regular volunteer who found purpose in trapezia by tutoring math.
2: There are good people here, and I developed good relationships with different people. So I want to give my best to others. I feel a strong desire to learn more about God and the Bible. I have this idea that I have to help, and if I can, I'm going to do it. I am not a math teacher. I'm an engineer. But here, I help kids with math.
1: DeMature travels 10 kilometers every day. Sometimes he comes on foot. He started as a customer, then he became a volunteer, and now he is a baptized Seventh-day Adventist. Like DeMature, many people who come to Trapezia find the bread of life. The owners of Trapezia have seen how centers of influence like this can work as a platform to engage the community and form friendships.
2: God gave us this place to keep us close to people. God showed us that we needed a place where people felt accepted and at home. That's why we established a bakery, because it smells like home. In Bulgaria, people eat a lot of bread. This is how Christ worked. He was close to people. He offered them the bread of life. He healed them and took care of them. And we want to do the same.
1: The leaders at Trapezia invite you to pray for this growing group of new believers. Please pray for this urban center of influence and many others around the world that find creative ways to introduce people to Jesus. Thank you for supporting urban centers of influence through global mission.
0: All right, so we saw that inspiring mission spotlight from Bulgaria, some pretty creative stuff they're doing with that uh, you know, center of influence. It's pretty creative. Maybe we can learn some lessons for that for our own territory. But speaking of our own territory, the Lord has entrusted us with a mission work right here domestically in the Michigan Conference. And I'm so happy that we have Pastor Chad Bernard is with us today, the youth director of the Michigan Conference. Yeah. Welcome to Sabbath School. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it is good to be here. It's fun. And you know, typically. The youth department is off doing all kinds of busy things, I assume, right? Well, what is what is the youth department? What does it cover and who all is involved with it? And then we'll transition to what are you doing now? Yeah, great question.
3: <laughs> um, well, I have a fantastic team, excited to work with Pastor Craig Harris. And his focus has has and continues to be on Pathfinders. Okay, And we are blessed, I think, with, no disrespect to anyone else, but <laughs> one of the premier, uh, if not the premier, Pathfinder director in in the Amen. in the division. Yeah. I, I just absolutely love him. He loves kids. He loves Jesus. Amazing storyteller. I was saying, he's been telling it, stories yeah, lately too. Absolutely. <laughs> and and my daughter like is wins Pastor Craig's next story. And whenever we talk on the phone, she oh, interrupts and says, "When's the next story?" So, <laughs> anyway, he's doing great. And and we have Kathy Oliver who's our administrative assistant, and she just helps. She's the engine that just you know makes it all happen. So, all right. uh, and then I work with local church um, ministry. And so, yeah, absolutely, their events are an important part of youth ministry, whether it's, you know, uh, teen snow outing or field work or different types of initiatives and events. Those are in, those are important, but really our goal is and our desire has always been to strengthen the local church, mm. to help young people at that local church level to uh, work with uh, intergenerational ministry, where they're, they're working with with people of all ages and just passionate about knowing more about Jesus, sharing that with their community and loving each other. So that's been a passion for the youth department.
0: Okay, now let's talk a little bit more about that because uh, kind of alluded to in the last question you kind of touched on it there is that at least my perception has been, and maybe other people has too, that you know youth is about events. You Mm -hmm. have Pathfinder Camperies, you have snow outings and those kind of things, but right now everything is kind of locked down and shut down. So How in this crisis, is youth ministry just kind of on pause right now? Yeah. Or waiting till the events can come up? Or what are you doing to adapt to these new times?
3: Well, I think that that technology is playing a a huge part that a lot of people just haven't uh, really tapped into before this point. I think also that um, a lot of people have had a negative view of technology because they only Mm. see the negative aspects of it. But Mm. one thing this pandemic has done is brought the positive pieces of technology. For instance, this program mm-hmm. that we're on right now that sure. we're able to broadcast on social media and different yeah. websites. Um, God is using technology for His glory. And so what the youth department has, has been doing, if you go to our, you know, our website, mizdyouth.org, and you click on different opportunities on the, on the homepage, you'll see the different events that we have. And so we have, um, for instance, on Mondays, we call it the sevens where we, like yesterday, this is being recorded on a Tuesday, so yeah. t- today is actually Trivia Tuesday, so we do that. Okay, but, uh, okay. Yesterday, uh, on Monday, we had the sevens, and we gave seven reasons why the Bible says that Jesus is coming very soon. Mm. And so the young people come in in in, Zoom, in the Zoom meeting using that technology, and we're able to have a dialogue and actually go through a chain reference Bible study. Okay. And at the end of that experience, the charge is now go find somebody online or phone, give them a phone call and share what you know, so that you can get stronger in in the awesome. Word of God. And so, that's on Monday, Tuesdays, uh, Tuesdays is trivia, which we have a lot of fun with. Uh, Wednesdays we have a book club where we're studying the book Steps to Christ. Amen. And so, uh, young people can get on the uh, on Zoom, and then we t- discuss the chapter and, and process our relationship with Jesus. Thursdays Fit Club. We actually have Vicky Griffin who you know, from our Health uh, Ministries uh, yes, yes. Health, <laughs> health Ministries Department. And Shelly Ringstaff, who is mm-hmm. uh, Elder Ringstaff's wife and, and community, and services and community director, service yeah. director and and health aficionado. <laughs> and so basically what we have is it's a lot of fun. Um, young people get on Zoom. And so Shelly's doing the exercises, telling us what to do. Vicky's telling us why we should be doing these things <laughs> and what it's doing Motivation to our brains to and, and everything. And, I, and I'm just basically sweating and out of breath. <laughs> and so... And then of course on, on Sabbath, we have our, our, our weekly Sabbath school experience. So we're going through, we're actually going through um, inverse quarterly yeah, yeah. and um, and how to know the will of God is, is the theme right now. And so having a great experience and, and, and we're seeing a lot of people coming online, families coming online and we're able to interact. And you know, God is greater than any pandemic and Amen. any emergency and, and um, he's showing us how his message can still go forward. And to me, i got to be honest with you, I believe, and, and I'm being very vulnerable here, I believe that I'm closer to the youth now mm. than I was doing these events. Because sometimes, and I don't know if you can relate to this, mm. you can go to a major event and see a whole lot of people, but connect with very few. Mm. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to do His job, and He's going to do things in, in spite of us. Um, but as far as that connecting that that mentorship that can take mm-hmm. place that those those relationships those are starting to happen and I quite honestly, I think that's going to change the way we do ministry going mm. forward yeah. i'm I'm wanting that I'm wanting more of that one on one connection fostering relationships, training them to do uh, to have those strong relationships at the local church level so I I know it probably won't be as to the level it is currently because of the pandemic, but I hope to see that principle of of more intentional connection Mm one-on-one instead of big event, low touch, to use that term, Mm -hmm, experiences. mm -hmm.
0: Fascinating, so you see this not only as an opportunity to adapt to our current circumstance, but maybe take some of those lessons that you're learning from technology use and mm-hmm. personal connection and maybe interweave those into even when this thing comes back open again, which we don't know when or what that's gonna look like, but take some of those lessons and apply them going forward. Fascinating, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. fascinating. So, to summarize all this up, Youth ministry is not done for right now. We're not no. waiting for everything to open up. There's yeah. stuff happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And if people want to get involved, what was the site again they can go to? Absolutely,
3: it's Uh
0: You can go there. We
3: also have social media sites, um, Facebook. You can go to at msdayouth or, or msdayouth on Facebook and on Instagram. And all of those things are communicating what's going on currently during the youth department. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, all of these experiences are free. You just need to to connect with us online and download the
0: appropriate um, programs and and we'd love to have you. Praise the Lord, thanks so much for what you're doing and we're looking forward to seeing all the young people in the Michigan conference, not only connect now, but in the future to be faithful to the Lord and do his work. Thank you, thank you. Now we've seen our global work over in Bulgaria, some creative uh, center of influence work going on there. We've talked about the youth department's work across the Michigan conference here in our own territory but we still want to finish our mission program with that personal application. What can I be doing for the Lord at this time? And to help us with that today, we have another special guest. Brother Mike Bernard (laughs) is the treasurer of the Michigan Conference. And we want to talk a little bit about finances, especially at this time, because you are probably well aware that the economy is uncertain and uh, we're going through some fluctuation right now. And there might be some questions or concerns that people have about giving. So for instance, If people's personal income is adjusted, is this a time to rein in our tithes and offerings until the economy is on more steady footing?
4: Sure. Um, it, those are there's two two areas in that question that I think we can focus on. One would okay. be the spending. Okay. You know, we as stewards, the Lord has given us, uh, you know, assets or whatever to to be good stewards of, and absolutely. Whatever he's given us to be a steward of, we need to make sure that we are spending it the way he would have us to. Okay. To when situations arise where we do need to curb the spending, we, d- we should be doing that yeah. uh, because uh, that would be honoring him. Now, the, the piece where we're talking about tithe and offerings, that is a different type of, of what the Lord has called us to do. I want to share a quote with you. Gee, sure. It is, Counsel's on Stewardship, page 15, it's a great book. If you want to learn about stewardship, there's a book specifically on it. (laughs) The gold and the silver are the Lord's, and he could reign them from heaven if he chose. God planned the system of beneficence in order that man might become like his creator, benevolent and unselfish in character, and finally be a partaker with Christ of the eternal glorious reward. Mm. The Lord has given us the system of giving uh, through through our... return of tithe that's his money you know he says you know return unto me your tithe that so i'm just i'm giving that back to him i'm just being faithful in that so if if he is if 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 circumstances change my financial perspective then i'll have less to give but uh, that he he's made you know made account for that because it's a percentage so Mm -hmm. if my income does go down I'm still required to give 10%. So we I'm don't have like off that.
0: months of tithing or something like that. We just consistently, as the Lord gives, we return steadily.
4: Right. We just, we give back to Him. And and then the, the offerings as well is just a, a, a representation of our love and, and thankfulness for the Lord in mm-hmm. these times. Now, um, the beauty of it, He's given it to us to, to become more like Him. Mm. I mean, th- just like this, along with our health message, along with so many things that the Lord has given us to be faithful in, mm-hmm. when we're faithful, it it's only helps us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it changes our character to be more like Him. I'm so glad when He was in heaven deciding how much to give that mm. He didn't hold back. Marcy. He just said, I'm giving my son, I'm Amen. giving my best. And, and that's the character I want to have is, Lord, how can I best give to you in your mm-hmm. work. And and everyone's best is different based on their circumstances. For sure.
0: But that principle, regardless of circumstance, continues right through. Yes. Now let's move from the principle base to the practical base. I'm guessing there's a lot of people who say, yes, I'm, I want to give, but the reality is congregations aren't meeting right now. And for a lot of people, I don't know how it is for you at home, but I know it's part of our regular routine. We have for our kids, little quarters and stuff, a little change. And mm-hmm. for us, we have the physical tithe envelope and wait for the passing of the plate and the call for the offering. And But all of those structures are kind of missing right now. How can people connect uh, with the church through tithes and offerings in the time when we're not actually meeting as local churches?
4: Sure. Great question. Uh, we have been Many of our churches have already taken advantage of a system called AdventistGiving.org. Okay. It's a great uh, website that our church, uh, or not just in Michigan, but um, worldwide, is, is set up as uh, a way to give online. It's through an app. It's through online on their website. Um, and what you want to do is you, you just go to their website, AdventistGiving.org, and then uh, you can search for your church. You can set up an account. That's the best way I feel. For me, I, I, I give that way. And uh, you set up an account, it's connected to your bank account or credit mm-hmm. card. Uh, for us as a church, it's cheaper if it comes through the bank account. To be um, clear,
0: because the credit card actually incurs fees that yes, we're responsible for, yes. so it's better for the direct payment, the other yeah, way. It's, yeah,
4: it's it's a it's a better use of our funds. Uh, okay. We have to pay less in fees. Um, and then you go right on to your local church. You can give all to your local offerings. It's a, it's a blessing for the local church as well, because this time as well, there's still, you know, there's still ministry happening in the local church and there's still costs that the Lord would have us to support that as well. So there's the local, and it has the conference, union, and world church as well. Awesome. All in so, we can,
0: so at Adventist Giving, you can do take care of both tithes and offerings to mm-hmm. the global church all the way down to the local church ministry.
4: Yes, and, and if, if your church isn't set up, I would talk to your pastor, encourage them to work with the treasurer to do that. In the meantime, you can mail it directly to your local church so they make sure they get their local funds as well. Okay. Um, that's a great option too.
0: And I understand that there was a video put together for if people aren't particularly tech savvy or computer literate, that it's a very simple process that you've helped guide in that, is that correct?
4: Yeah, I did a quick video, I'm, I'm not a techie, but uh, <laughs> I, I did that and it's on our website uh, okay. under the Michigan conference, there's a COVID-19 section and, and the resources for giving, it's right there.
0: Fantastic. Well. Friends, we just want to encourage you that yes, while the, certainly there are fluctuations and uncertainties right now, the Lord is always faithful and he's called us to a life of faithfulness in all things, and that's finances included. So I want to thank you for being here, uh, Brother Mike, and thank you for the work that you're doing, and may God continue to bless each one of us as we seek to be faithful to him regardless of circumstance. Well, it's so good to hear about the global mission work, the local work across the conference, especially with the youth ministry that's here uh, we talked to today. And we have our personal stewardship that we need to keep going for the work of the Lord and for our own character development. All of that mission is important. But when it comes to the Sabbath school, always that larger rock in the jar, the big foundation is going to be Bible study and prayer. So we've got an interesting lesson today. We want to begin, however, with a personal comment here about our Sabbath school teachers. You know, Mark and I have been reflecting on this lately about the the essential role of the Sabbath school leaders in the local church we have Sabbath school superintendents who put on those mission programs and coordinate all the different aspects of the Sabbath school council work. We have Sabbath school teachers, and you know, they have to deal with different people and different d- demographics in the churches, You know different levels of Bible knowledge, and there's a lot of variables there they have to manage. Yeah. And, and lack
2: of people. And lack of people, trying exactly. Get, so they're trying to recruit people to come. They're right. trying to have
0: good lesson programs. They're going to have good uh, follow-up through the week. There's a lot that goes into a quality Sabbath school program. So we just want to affirm and thank all of our local congregation Sabbath school leaders, whether Amen. you're superintendent, whether you're a teacher, whether you are some, a secretary, some sort of, even just a participant who reads your Sabbath school lesson and comes prepared to contribute to the discussion. It is a wonderful contribution to the work of the church. We want to affirm that. Now, from time Absolutely. to time, we're going to say things about what we see in local churches and what we uh, encourage teachers to do or superintendents, how they should organize things. And it may sound a little bit like, man, they're always telling us to do this and do that. Well, the the reality is that's exactly what we're trying to do because we want the same things that you want. We want good Sabbath school programming, quality in every local church. Go ahead. Cameron
2: is is that when we see something that may be able to stand some improvement, it's because we used to do it a certain way <laughs> yeah. and wish that we knew back then some of right. the things we know now. So we're just trying to pass along some that's things, right. tips that have been helpful to us that will make the Sabbath school more engaging to right. the Sabbath school student.
0: And what we'd love to see is any church you go into across the Michigan Conference, if you walk into Sabbath school, it's going to be quality. People are going to be there, whether that's it's right. a large crowd or not. The goal is it's going to be a blessing to whoever shows up. And we want to contribute that the only best way we know how. That's right. So that's what we're trying to do here. And today's contribution is actually, since we don't have a local congregations meeting, we're going to provide an entire Sabbath school study right here, right now. That's and right. Uh, we're in the third lesson.
2: Now, one thing oh, I want to plug, one more thing that we have talked about already, but we're trying to model going through the lesson. However, if you or I were teaching a Sabbath school class, we'd be engaging the class, which we can't do as much here. You're not going <laughs> to have the interaction. That in this yeah. And so this isn't exactly what we would do. Right. But as we, Lord willing, get out of this COVID crisis, these classes are going to transition into some training tips. And then we'll be able to highlight and model mm-hmm. more of what we would do in a class setting right. uh, where there are students to interact, ask questions, that kind of thing.
0: So while we don't want people tuning into Michigan SSPM f- continuously expecting a full Sabbath school program instead of their local ca- congregational study, right. we do want to be a resource for Sabbath school superintendents, Sabbath school teachers, Sabbath school leaders, pastors, personal ministries, workers, all of those things in our sphere of influence to say there's going to be good me- material, relevant resources and helpful training so that we can make our local work even better than before. That's right. So. this week's study we (laughs) got to move on because there's some good stuff today the third lesson of the how to interpret scripture second quarter and we're talking about jesus and the apostles view of the bible amen so before we do any study of god's word let's start with a word of prayer pastor howard can you lead us in prayer
2: let's pray okay heavenly father we are so thankful for your holy sabbath day and the privilege we have of coming together and studying the word in sabbath school And experiencing the fellowship, even though, Lord, it's not as we typically would in a local Sabbath school setting. At the same time, it's encouraging to know that across the world, your faithful people are studying uh, this very lesson Hmm. and becoming more confident and grounded in the scriptures and the hope that the scriptures present in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that the spirit of truth that you've promised us would guide us into an understanding of the truth, not just theoretical, Lord, but practical. Uh, because we pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, so we shall take out our lessons and see what we have here this week.
2: Yes, and as we mentioned last week, you and I have been putting together an outline as we've studied the lesson. And we draw out the points Mm -hmm. and this you'll see the link on the bottom of the screen or you can go to our Michigan SSPM website and go to the resources page and you'll find these little guides. Not that you have to use a guide like this, but it will give especially you teachers an idea of maybe some ways to organize the lesson when you teach it. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. And we're going to be referring to that today. Yes. Uh, But it draws from the lesson quarterly, which they all have in their hands, of course. And this week, the topic is Jesus and the Apostles' view of the Bible. Right. So to, to quickly recap, this entire quarter is about how to interpret scripture. How do we relate to this book in this day? That's right. And one of the ways we can learn how to do that is see how other people have done it throughout history,
2: well, Jesus and the Apostles week we being foremost. Well we talked about the position that we as a church, Seventh-day Adventist church, hold Regarding Scripture, that mm-hmm. as the Apostle Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and we believe in the full inspiration of Scripture. Yes, that it is reliable and trustworthy and relevant and what have you. So the follow-up question is, is that how Jesus viewed the Scripture? Right. Is that how the apostles viewed the Scripture? Or are we coming up with our own private special interpretation way of, <laughs> of, exactly, yeah, exactly. of viewing the Scripture?
0: Well, I wanted to start, and and I don't know if you want to read this or we want, but just maybe this first paragraph. It gives some introductory yes. thoughts. Yes. Uh. Why don't I just go ahead? We've got yes. it here, this is uh, page 22 of the regular edition here. It says on uh, Sabbath Afternoon's opening remarks, Unfortunately, in this postmodern age, the Bible has been largely reinterpreted through the lens of a philosophy that questions both its inspiration and its authority. In fact, the Bible is seen as merely the idea of the ideas of human beings living in a relatively primitive culture who couldn't possibly understand the world as we do today. At the same time, the supernatural element has been either downplayed or even removed from the picture, turning the Bible into a document that, now listen carefully, I I love this part, instead of being God's view of humanity, has become humanity's view of God. Hmm. So when people look at the scripture now, they're not necessarily looking at it as God speaking to me, but me reinterpreting it to help me understand who God is and kind of paints God into a corner, right? Right. And the result is that for many, the Bible has become largely irrelevant in an age of Darwinian thinking and modern philosophy. However, we completely reject that position. Amen. Amen. So as Seventh-day Adventist (laughs) Bible-believing Christians, we can't view the Bible as just other literature.
2: Right. And one of the reasons is we've already seen that the Bible doesn't present itself that way. You know, what it's talking about here in the lesson, and our viewers may or may not be aware of the term or, or... Acquainted with the term higher criticism, and higher criticism is really an umbrella term mm-hmm. um, for a skeptical view of scripture. Um, there's terms like uh, uh, um, I'm thinking historical critical and well, uh, the biblical grammatical. Yeah, and there are different it, yeah. variations of. But higher criticism is that viewpoint where it's interesting and ironic. Even last week we quoted from an atheist evolutionary biologist. Yes who said regarding um, evidences that in science that might point to God, that we can't allow a divine foot in the door, mm-hmm. that they had an a priori, or that is a prior commitment to materialism. And materialism right. is just a belief that you can't have supernatural. Right. It's gotta be all explainable. by. And you. that
0: devotion to materialism changes how they look at right. all evidence.
2: But what right. we're reading here is there are professed Christian scholars who really are materialists. Mm. They weed out at the, at the, you know, there's a spectrum of, of viewpoints when it comes to higher criticism. But at the far end, there's no belief in the supernatural. Right. You know, there wasn't a flood. Jesus so didn't raise out. from the dead. Yeah, yeah. There was no virgin birth, et cetera. Right. This is what this is highlighting. And again, that's that's what is termed higher criticism. And it really... Um, I think our viewers would be surprised how much of the Christian world today takes that higher critical view of Scripture.
0: Right, and maybe not fully rejecting it, but there's definitely an idea of, well, I mean, their science was off and their history was off and their their culture was off, their society was off. So those elements will reinterpret, well, now all of a sudden, I am changing the scripture to meet my standards of what I understand either science or reason or and that's a form of higher criticism yes
2: and it's become very prevalent today but it was it's been around for a while Mm -hmm. and here's a statement from the book acts of the apostles page 474 you'll see this on the screen it says as in the days of the apostles men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the scriptures so today to many the Bible is as a lamp without oil mm. because they have turned their minds into channels of speculative belief that bring misunderstanding and confusion. The work of higher criticism in dissecting, conjecturing, reconstructing is destroying faith in the Bible as a divine revelation. And note this last sentence. It is robbing God's word of power to control, uplift, and inspire human lives. Mercy you know once you once you start to question whether the bible is all that it says how does it transform your life w- w- there are many things in the bible that challenge us as how we're living and things that there there are appeals for us to change but why am i going to change when it was paul's opinion or david's right. opinion or whatever else and so once we start to view the bible how did the lesson say it again as man's view of god versus god's view of humanity mm-hmm. When it's no longer God counseling me, but just the opinions of men. Yeah. Why do I need to listen to it? And it robs, yeah. the Bible's robbing. And, it, and it's, it's honestly
0: a brilliantly shrewd strategy of Satan to like, you can leave the Bible right there in your hand. That's you right. You don't have to change one word You can it. read it. You can say you believe in exactly. it. Exactly. But change what belief means. Change right. what reading means and you win the battle. That's right. So this is one of Satan's strategies to undermine faith in God's word. So Jesus... Uh, as the lesson continues. How so there face, are those yeah.
2: among the higher critical community that'll say, well, Jesus was a higher critic and the apostles were higher critics and mm. that's how they viewed the Bible. So that's our question this week is how did Jesus view the scriptures?
0: Okay. Well, how, how did, did Jesus the apostles
2: <laughs> view the scriptures?
0: Yes. How did they regard the scripture? And, uh, you know, you'll hear people talk about the, well, I'm a New Testamental Christian. Yeah. So they'll say, well, the first half of the Bible, the first, honestly, two thirds mm-hmm. of the Bible is out and I'm just a The problem you run into is when you start reading the New Testament and you try to cut out all the Old Testament out of the New Testament, you're left with just some scraps and (laughs) fragments. Because when you immediately, because obviously the story of Jesus is the first thing in the New Testament. It's the first four Gospels. But Jesus shows up on the scene after 400 plus years of silence from, you know, scripture writers. And he doesn't say, all right, we're just starting all over. All that Let's wipe the table clean. He just walks right in from the very Mm -hmm. beginning and picks up those Old Testament scriptures, and without missing a beat, views them and treats them as historically accurate, uh, morally you know, relevant. It's
2: just true. Powerful in the life of the Christian. I mean, yeah. one of the things, the first uh, uh, passages, I think, that come to a lot of people's minds when we talk about Jesus in the scripture is that temptation in the wilderness yeah. where he refutes the devil's temptations, three of the strongest temptations in his entire earthly existence. Right. And, and how does he deal with them? It is written. It is written. It is written in every case, obviously quoting from Old Testament scriptures, because it's the only scripture that existed at the time, uh, all from the book of Deuteronomy, incidentally. Yeah,
0: Moses, Um, the oldest part of the,
2: yeah. (laughs) Right, and so here we see Jesus' confidence in the scripture to refute the power of the enemy, but repeatedly, as you said, uh, we find Jesus referring to.
0: Well, I just want to make a point here. Yes.
2: When you have Jesus
0: in that wilderness of temptation, not only was he just happened to be there, but you remember the context. He's been 40 days, he's weak and emaciated, yes. he's in his human flesh, which is, you know, a burden that we can't even understand, you know, right. God becoming man. And Satan waits until he's nice and tired and nice and worn out. Really, to, and then he takes, he doesn't just send an emissary, The Satan himself comes to take on the Son of God, right? This is the clash <laughs> of the titans, if you will. And if there were any person who could for lack of a better term, shoot from the hip right. and knock down Satan, it would be Jesus, the Son of God. He could right. say, I say unto you to... But I don't need to quote the scripture. Exactly. Right? I, I like, spoke the scripture. Exactly. Right? And last message week's message, lesson made it clear. He's the living word, right? right? John calls him the word of God, right? But even Jesus, in his humanity, didn't just say, well, let me hold, put my humanity, I'll mm-hmm. just pull from my divine... He doesn't do that. He goes directly to, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he leaves an example for us that we should view life and all of its challenges from a right. platform of it is written. Right. And I know that there are, you, uh, look at some other examples of how Jesus viewed the scriptures uh, when he had his own life and ministry here on the earth.
2: Well, we have a few that the lesson brings out. So let's just quickly look at a few of them in, in okay. First Matthew 12. And uh, this is where the the Pharisees begin to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath because he allowed his disciples to pluck grain heads yes. on the Sabbath. And so um, Matthew 12, verse 2 says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered in, etc. Et now, our point isn't to break down this passage, but to say, when Jesus is challenged for what he's doing, he refers to the scripture, and he refers to it as a fact. Yeah, He, doesn't, he didn't question it. Well, I'm not sure if that really happened. Well, by the no, way, in archeology
0: span right now, there's yes. debate about, like, was there really a David? Was right. there? And he's like, didn't you read? David did <laughs> this, true. he was at this time. It was like, he didn't even question it. He didn't even treat it as a mythology, the legend of David. He was right. just like, no, David did it, because it's It's had written.
2: this been a human being, and this <laughs> happens even today, people would say, oh, he's an ignoramus, he's uneducated, yeah. he didn't know any better. But this is Jesus, the right. omniscient, right? You know, Almighty Son of God, and he trusted the accurate. David did it. That's and right. T- haven't you read? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at some more. Yes, uh, Luke
0: chapter eleven has one there for us. Yes, uh, verse fifty-one. Jesus again pulling and into. And again, the
2: passages we love to dive into the passages, but we're just drawing out what. Yeah, did Jesus, these are just quick how did examples. How he refer to exactly? The scripture?
0: Uh, verse fifty-one of Luke chapter eleven. Yes. Uh, listen to the phrase of Jesus. He was within this. Uh, conversation he's having with again with the lawyers which I want to make a little side note here remember the last conversation he was refuting the scholars the lawyers yes. right these people studied and read the scriptures
2: but they were missing the point of the scripture the, the, these back to were before. not these were not lawyers in terms like of esquires we're, who are these work. Were people who are experts in the law of Moses but here is Christ who's in, correcting their exactly. understanding
0: And he says in verse 51 from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of of this generation. We're not right. going to tear into what he's trying to talk to, about in the specific context, but clearly, he's referring to Old Testament examples as reliable history. Yeah, Abel, the blood of that goes all Abel, the way up to right. Genesis chapter four, right? And Cain and Abel, the very first family, which ties directly into creation. So we've got creation. And he's Adam, treating that is as a Cain trustworthy
2: historical yeah. account,
0: and he says from that point to Zechariah, from the oldest to the latest. All of it is trustworthy history that we should learn
2: from. Well, let's go to Luke 17. We're in the Gospel of Luke. Right. Just keep going to the right then. 17, verse 26. And the Bible says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all, likewise as it was also in the days of lot they ate they drank they bought they sold um, they planted they built but on the day that lot went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all even so will it be so here jesus refers to the flood as a which real fire critical scholars say it never happened it was it was figurative it would, not according to Jesus. There was a Noah and there was a flood and That's we ought right. to take warning from it. That's right. And Sodom and Gomorrah, they really existed and they were really destroyed by fire. That's how Jesus treats it as a, an accurate historical depiction given in scripture.
0: And interestingly, they're breaking down like Genesis 1 through 4 has Cain and Abel. and Of course, Adam and Eve, then Cain and right. Abel. Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9 has the flood. Then we got Sodom and Gomorrah. after So he's just sequentially moving through large chunks of scripture as actual historical events. Uh, let's go to one more. Yes. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 uh, Jesus here speaking in verse 15. Where, let me make sure we have it here. Now notice this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet, uh, by Daniel the prophet, <laughs> stand, standing in the holy place, and then he adds parenthetically, whoever reads, let him understand. So here we have Jesus not only mentioning an Old Testament prophet, but he's using that as
2: trustworthy
0: well, to predict the future. Let's and be clear about something
2: yeah. here. Higher critical scholars to this day reject Daniel as the author of Daniel. That's true. They say Daniel was written around the 2nd century B.C. by somebody else. It Long wasn't written afterwards. by Daniel. Yeah. But here's Jesus saying, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, not by the guy who wrote the book of who Daniel. Who claimed to be Daniel, <laughs> wink,
0: <laughs> right. wink. No, right. no, none of that. And, and so he's saying Daniel is historically true in the past, yes. and what he was prophesying is going to come true in the future. So Christ saw an unbroken chain of history from all the way back from creation to his time and even going forward that the scripture is just simply a testimony to.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's look at something a little closer. I want to look at a passage in Matthew 19. Okay. And we're going to see the same thing. Uh, what we're finding here is that Jesus... Fully believed in the authority of Scripture, the authenticity of Scripture, the trustworthiness, the historical accuracy, and even the relevance of Scripture. And this passage really, I think, exemplifies that. Um, We're going to Matthew 19, and starting in verse 3, the Bible says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, that's, that's already packed right there. Right. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away?
0: Now, can we pause right here for a second? And yes. notice what they're trying to do they're going to the scripture for their Bible study, if you That's will, right. right? And Christ, because they have a question. Moses gave this, and they're trying to trap Jesus in right. a, an apparent inconsistency or make it so right. he can't answer. And so they bring the up The Bible this,
2: contradicts itself.
0: Exactly. And boy, if you don't hear that these days. Oh, yeah. Right? And so they're saying, well, Moses said this. Now, what do you do with that, Jesus? And Jesus starts with, well, let's just go back to the beginning. And he walks through the creation account, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're about to come back. Verse seven, then they said to him, why then, if what you're saying Jesus is true, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to say, I know the creation story says this, but Moses said that, therefore, Nothing can be trustworthy. We have to reinterpret it. We have to make our own. Mm-hmm. And we hear that so many times today. One part it's, of it's
2: outdated and we got to get rid exactly, of it, et cetera.
0: Exactly. But how did Jesus handle that?
2: Well, it's interesting. Of course, Jesus goes on and says, verse 8, He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Which is, mm. there's a principle there that is so incredible that God, in His mercy, allowed you right. to go your own stubborn way But he had a higher ideal. Now, what's interesting about this, there's so much we could say, but there's several things that catch my attention. First of all, he affirms the creation account of Genesis. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, notice what he goes on to say. Have you not read that he who made them, verse Mm 5, said, quote, for this reason a man shall leave. So now he's quoting the one who made man and male yeah. and female in the beginning, but he's quoting scripture. Mm-hmm. So Jesus attests that scripture, even though it was written by Moses, it Is wasn't Moses said, yeah. he said, capital Power. H, the one yeah. who created said. So he attests to the Genesis account. He attests that God was the author. That, that it wasn't just Moses'
0: take on things. It was God That's right. speaking. Right.
2: And then when they want to bring up an apparent contradiction, Jesus basically says, you're not understanding the purpose behind it. And what Jesus does is he shows that it's harmonious. There isn't a discrepancy. You see an apparent discrepancy, but it's not a discrepancy at all. And he explains it. In fact, he explains it in a way that applies to his audience here and now, so he shows not only does he believe in the historical accuracy of Scripture, but the relevance of Scripture to us now.
0: Because they were dealing with a problem, like what should we do in light of this contradiction? Apparently so. And Christ says, first of all, you're not reading it right, so there shouldn't be a contradiction. And when you read it correctly, it still applies to your life today.
2: Well, one of the the passages the Bible, or the lesson brings out is in Matthew 22, where Jesus told the religious leaders, you do err neither knowing the scriptures nor the power of God.
0: And think of what an insult that must have felt like for a scholar, right? (laughs) Right. To be told, oh, your problem is you don't know scripture. And his issue, I don't believe that Jesus was saying, because for instance, you look at several examples. You know, what's interesting
2: is they did know. The right. letter of Scripture.
0: Exactly. That's the point. Is He's saying you can quote, because I'm thinking of the time, uh, there's many times where Jesus was trying to be entrapped by tricky little yes. questions and whatnot, and a lawyer or a scholar or a scribe would come up to Jesus and ask him and test him, the Bible says, to ask him right. to test him. And, um, you know, the parable of the, um, uh, of the Good Samaritan. Yes. You know, the guy comes up and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Right. right. But, but before he asked that question, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the Scripture? Yes. And the guy answers correctly, not just a good answer. He says, love your neighbor. I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself.
2: We're actually getting into that a little bit.
0: Okay. And, And my point is that there were people who knew the Bible Yes. But still we're not making the right application of it That's because right. of some, it wasn't because the Bible was unclear. I believe it's piece the Bible is so clear. They just don't like where that clarity leads.
2: It was just a book of trivia to them. Yeah. A book of facts.
0: Right. Facts and figures. And, you know, the Bible even tells us in James chapter 2 mm-hmm. that even the demons believe. That's right. You know, you know. I think back. But it the,
2: doesn't do anything for them.
0: Exactly. And they what? What's the response? They, they tremble. tremble. They know it's true but it's still not going to save them, right? right? And when Jesus ran into those demoniacs, you know, the story is told in several different Gospels, but uh, they would come up and, when, <laughs> in, in Matthew's account, just two verses early, I believe it's chapter 8, mm-hmm. verse 27, uh, his disciples, after he calms the wind and the rain, they're saying, who can this man be? He can mm-hmm. have two verses later, the demoniacs, the demons from those men right. come up and say, who are you, you son of God? <laughs> right. they, they're not questioning his identity. But they say, have you come here to torment us before the time? Right. They know who Jesus is. They trust that the word of God is true, but it doesn't save them. These scribes and lawyers were looking at the Bible as just a, a course of study, uh, something to be, you know, it didn't, it didn't change their hearts. It didn't transform their character. And that's when Jesus said, you don't understand the scripture or the power of God. The power comes from the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to mold us into a different person altogether. And they hadn't experienced that. Right. And no wonder they couldn't connect the dots. They weren't seeing it spiritually. That's anyway, right. I gotta, we gotta keep going, but it's just a, it's fascinating to me.
2: Well, you were touching on the story, I think this is the story you were touching on in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're gonna transition in thought a little bit. We see Jesus has... Confidence in the Scripture's authenticity, historical right. uh, accuracy, relevance, etc. We're going to go to Luke chapter ten and verse twenty-five, and there's just a couple of points we want to pick up from this this passage. Again, this is one of those accounts where, as you said, you know they always wanted to come and test Jesus with something. Luke 10:25 says and behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life he said to him what is written in the law what is your reading of it so he answered and said you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered rightly do this and you will live mm. now this again there's just Loaded so much some, yeah. in this passage first of all somebody comes how easy would it have been for Jesus to say a guy asked him a question say well this is what I this is what I say yeah you know hey what's the answer here let me tell you what the answer is I'm the Messiah I'm the son of God here's the answer yeah. and you know no. it's going to be right <laughs> <laughs> but he says what's written in the law and then he asks What's your reading of it? How do you read it? What's your understanding? What's your interpretation we would say today? Uh And so what's interesting is first thing he does is he points back. The man wants to know the difference between something that's what's right and wrong. How do I know what's right? Right. Go back to the law. Yeah. The Torah, the writings of Moses, the Mm -hmm. Go back and, and, and what's written there. So the man gives the answer. And then Jesus says, you have answered rightly. Yeah. Which implies you well, can answer wrongly. Exactly,
0: there is such a thing as a wrong answer when it comes to
2: Bible not, questions. Not sure. not in higher criticism. It, today there are people like, well, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's a little bit right. Not to Jesus. Mm. He clearly he he asked the question, how are you reading it? And then the man says, well, this is how I read it and says, "Good, you gave the right answer." Which he didn't implies there's a, a wrong good answer, answer That's or right. the
0: wrong he said that is the and right And then idea.
2: he said, "Do this and you will live." In other words, There's a right answer. And if you go by the right answer, that leads to eternal life. But if you give the wrong answer in your reading of scripture, if you Mm. come to the wrong interpretation, there is no eternal life.
0: So there is a- According to Jesus. Right, according to Jesus, (laughs) like I'm just saying. But that tells us that there is an importance to not just thinking about scripture things and doing what you feel is best in the moment or something, but there's, there's a right way to look at scripture and understand it and not only to understand it correctly, but then to actually follow through and do what it says that's that's important in our walk with Christ. It's important to even salvation. Because notice the question the guy was asking, what do I do to inherit eternal life? This is literally a question of life or death, or what they would call today, a salvation issue. He was asking about life and death, and Christ says, there's a right answer. Number one, you got the answer right. And number two, now go and do it. And um, to me, that's... I think we're going to get into this a little later in the lesson, but there's an importance in that not just knowing the facts and figures of Scripture is important. Yes. That, that you actually have to do what it says. Because yeah. what's it mean? In that same, in that same uh, story, the very next thing, in fact, he says, but look at verse 29, but he, comma, yes. wanting to justify himself. Right. Because when Jesus said, go and do it, this man, by the way, <laughs> right. Jesus didn't just quote the scripture. He asked him to quote the scripture.
2: That's exactly so the man right.
0: demonstrated. He knew the facts and figures. He could put right. these passages together and get the right answer. And he said, good, good answer. Good on you. Now go do it. And that go and do part was the part that tripped him up.
2: That's right. And he
0: said, wanting to justify, who is my neighbor? As if to say, if only I could figure out who my neighbor is, I'd be happy to do it. I just, it's it's <laughs> too deep. It's too hard. And so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? right? And he tries to break this down, the principle back. But then at the end of it, he says, now... Whose neighbor? Right now, <laughs> right. go and do it. It always goes back for Jesus to now that you have the correct understanding, go and do, do it. Do it, right? And that's where a lot of people, I think, get tripped up. My, my, myself included. A lot of times, when I do something wrong, it's not because I just couldn't figure out what the right thing. I asked the Lord, and He just couldn't clarif- clarify yeah. it for me. I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. is wrong, that's and good. I just don't
2: want to do what's right. Sometimes it just gets real fuzzy when it comes down to something <laughs> I want to do. Exactly. Now the picture is really so unclear. <laughs> me to do this thing, right? Yeah,
0: that's exactly what happened in this
2: one. Well, something else in this passage is, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion among Christians, mm-hmm. a, a dispensational idea that, that you know, the yeah, Old Testament, New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. You mentioned this already. I'm yeah. not an Old Testament Christian. Jesus, when he quotes, when, when, rather when this man quotes, he says, what's written in the law? The man's response is from <laughs> Leviticus and Deuteronomy, two of right. the oldest books this in the, the Bible, Moses writing, right? yeah. certainly written over 1,500 years ago or 1,500 right. years thereabouts. Certainly couldn't be relevant <laughs> right. 1,500 years later. But Jesus asks him, what's your reading of it? What's written in law? And when the man gives the answer, Jesus said, you answered rightly. Jesus has full confidence. Let me rephrase it because we've said this already. Jesus is is not a dispensationalist. He doesn't believe Old Testament was for then, Mm. but not for now. This man, when he quotes the Old Testament, Jesus says, that's a right answer. Do it. What, you mean do it? 1,500 years later, I should still be doing it? Yes. Yes. Jesus consistently affirmed Old Testament teachings. I think sometimes people get tripped up in typology, where certainly the animal sacrifices were a type that met their anti-type, in, Christ, in in right. Christ's death on the cross, and so that does away with the need of sacrifices, but mm-hmm. it doesn't do away with all the instruction of it's the like, Old Testament. Now pictures. I don't have to
0: honor my mother and my father. Now <laughs> right. I can go ahead and kill. And it, it, he's like, no, those right. not at all, and the, and it doesn't undo the history that was right. just as accurate. You know, the cross doesn't deno- you know undermine the flood or anything. Well, I think
2: that's going to become clear in our lesson uh, as we as we go on. In fact, I'd like to move on to um, to me one of the most powerful. You know, we see. And we've just taken a little thumbnail sketch view of Jesus confidence in Scriptures. All through his ministry. Yeah. He's pointing to Scripture. the Scriptures. But to me, one of the most powerful examples is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-four. Yes. And yes. it's the journey on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. Now I have to give the setting for this. That is one of my you know, favorite stories. Go oh, ahead. <laughs> this is after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. His disciples believe he's died, but they don't believe he's risen again. Mm-hmm. And so there's two disciples that are walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, I believe about a seven mile journey. That's right. And they're having this conversation together and they're all discouraged because Jesus, the one who all their hopes were centered in, is dead as far as they know. Mm-hmm. Jesus shows up and walks with them, but he disguises himself. In in other words, he withholds. He's not wearing a disguise, but he doesn't reveal himself. And so they don't know his identity. So they just think he's a stranger and he begins to talk to them about this. And there's just some things in this. In fact, um, we're going to pick up in verse 13. And so, uh, Cameron, I'll start in verse 13. I'll read to verse 20, and then you can pick up in verse 21 to 27. Uh, I think that'll give us a good setting here. Verse 13, now behold, two of them, to the disciples of Jesus, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with him, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our uh, rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him.
0: But, it continues, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Hmm. Indeed, besides <laughs> all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, when they did not only they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken! Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory?" and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself
2: <laughs> you know you've had that question perhaps asked to you where people are like if you could hear any sermon from bible times yeah you'd be in any place what sermon would you love to hear i would have loved to this hear <laughs> yeah. jesus go through the entire old testament scriptures and demonstrate everything that had just happened with with his crucifixion and death From the scriptures. All right. Well,
0: let's use a little logic here, Mark. Yes. Let's say that there you are. You're Jesus. Yes. You have already conquered sin. You've already conquered the grave. You're resurrected. You're glorified. You're you're done. It is finished. And now you're just trying to affirm your poor, disheartened believers that you truly are real. Right? Right. And you're exactly what you claim to be. And you're walking along with them. And they're questioning the reality of the whole claim. They're, They're really discouraged wouldn't the simplest way to fix it just be like, well, I've got good news. It's me, (laughs) you know, and just, but notice that the way Jesus comes to them. Even
2: stepping, broadening that out a little bit, even beyond this account, if you were to ask the question, you know, there's an unbeliever and you want to prove the existence of God. If you could do anything or you could have God do anything, what would it be? Mm. Wouldn't it be a miracle? We'd be like, yeah. oh, if God would, you, Lord, just do, you know, show him an angel, yeah, have him yeah. dazzling <laughs> in front of him, or something like that. Right. So Jesus could have done anything. Yes, he could have done anything to affirm their faith. Right.
0: But instead, he number one calls them foolish. <laughs> he says, "Oh, foolish ones!" And the reason they're being foolish is because they have allowed disbelief to come in when the scriptures have said otherwise. That's right. He says, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow in heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken." Their discouragement came from their their lack of faith and lack of confidence in the reliability of Scripture.
2: And and I don't want to cut you off, but I want to say he still hasn't revealed himself. No. He's not, oh, fools, and so forth. I'm Jesus, and why don't you... Right now, he's still a stranger to them. Right. And he purposefully... Yes, in that
0: concealed position, he then opens the Scripture, beginning at Moses, which, of course, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way through, and all that the prophets have spoken. He gave them a Bible study from Scripture on the identity, the mission, the message of Christ to demonstrate that the one you knew and believed in, you don't realize is walking with you now, yes. right? But that one is exactly what the scripture outlined. You should have confidence,
2: yeah. not because uh, I'm him, but because Not the it says Christ so. to have done. Shouldn't this stuff have happened, he's saying? Is, like, why are you surprised this. by this? this? This is exactly what... Right. scripture said would happen.
0: Now, it's interesting. Now, I don't, we don't have time to get into the rest of the story, yes. you know, but Jesus then does reveal himself eventually, and it's only for a moment, apparently. He, yes. in the breaking of the bread, they recognize, mm-hmm. and I have to imagine he smiled and winked and then disappeared, yeah. right? But then they go to the question. Let's go to verse uh, 30, uh, 32. After mm-hmm. Jesus revealed and then disappeared, it said, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while, now watch this, he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. They didn't say, now we're excited that we've seen him. Now we've seen the That's Prince right. of Nails. Now we recognize his
2: face. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he revealed himself and we saw him and reveal right. it? No, That's not where they're... It's when... Their hearts lit on fire when they saw from the scripture
0: in, uh, uh, undeniable evidence that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be.
2: That's right. Power. And the question, the, the question we need to be asking is, why... When Jesus could have done anything, Mm -hmm. miraculous things to prove his, I'm risen from the dead and whatever, why did he conceal his identity and take them through a Bible study? Mm -hmm. Except that he wanted his New Testament church. Here's the thing that, that I need to say. Go ahead. Our senses are not reliable. Now, how many times have you felt a certain way that, mm. or, or even thought you saw something or whatever, or thought you heard something? Our senses are not reliable, mm. but the Word of God is always reliable. And Jesus mm. knew His disciples would encounter any number of things, but the Word of God would stand forever. And Amen. He wanted them not to base their confidence on even what they could see yes. that He could show them, even what they could feel and elated emotions mm-hmm. and whatever else, right. but in spite of their discouragement, He wanted them to anchor their hope in the Scripture. That was, that was the most important thing for Jesus mm. that He could do for them there. I mean, well, this is what the story is telling
0: us. It, the apostles would have the same, and we're we'll about have to move into this, yes. when they viewed Scripture, yes, they had the personal experience of seeing, touching, being around, listening right. to Jesus but they did not base the you should trust us because we saw.
2: No, They're we saying, don't,
0: praise the Lord that we saw, but there is that what, what Peter would call the more sure word of prophecy, even yes. more sure than your own personal
2: experience right. is
0: the trustworthiness of the written word.
2: That's right. And, and so we don't have the account of every single disciple here. Sure. But we do have the approach of Christ, which leads us to believe that this was his methodology with every disciple. Well, In other look, words, yeah. it wasn't just these two. Right. We see that Christ had a, an intense desire and purpose to establish the faith of his disciples on the scripture. And we're going to see that. Exactly. As we look at the New Testament Because church. then Jesus leaves shortly after his right. Emmaus,
0: right? And now the church is left in human hands, of course, guided by the Holy Spirit, but they yes. had a mentor and a model in Jesus Christ. That's right. And so he begins, you know, with the it is written testimony in the wilderness. He ends with the road to Emmaus, and he's very much centering everything he preaches and does on this reliance of the word. So when we go to the New Testament, well, we're already in the New Testament, but the continuation of the New Testament in the book of Acts and onward, we see those same disciples and apostles now leading this Christian movement, and they do the very thing that Jesus did—built it on the word.
2: Yeah, and I want to share one other passage. Well, sure. in the same passage as we build into that, you read verse twenty-seven of, of Luke twenty-four, where it says, "The beginning at the Moses and the prophets, he expounded in all yes. the prophets, he expounded to them." In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then again in verse 44, in the words of Jesus, it says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the psalms concerning me. So again, he, he affirms all the scripture and he affirms that this was his teaching with them while he was with them.
0: And one of the very next verse, one of the last gifts he gives them, and he opened their Mm. understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. So the way that Christ viewed scripture and built his ministry, he then not only exemplifies that, but then entrusts it to his apostles and said, the way I've taught you, you now build a church in my name on these principles. And that's exactly as the rest of scripture unfolds, exactly what we see happen.
2: That's right. So we come into the, the apostles, and we could refer back to last week, one of the passages from last week, in fact, the last couple of weeks, I think, was 2 Timothy 3, 16 and sure. 17, where the apostle Paul says, all, all scripture. scripture is given by, well, right before that in verse 15, Paul's in that passage, he's talking to Timothy, which was a young apprentice minister, mm-hmm. And he tells Timothy that the scriptures, Timothy, make you, uh, have made you wise unto salvation or are able to make you wise unto salvation. And then he follows up with all scriptures inspired of God. So mm-hmm. we see from the apostle Paul's teaching already, we've seen from his teaching that he believed that all the scriptures were given by inspiration of God mm-hmm. and were profitable for doctrine, proof, correction and instruction right. of righteousness. Right? right. that The man of God may be complete
0: and give us every wisdom that we need That's for exactly salvation. Right. They are the key to eternal life, literally. Now, in Acts chapter 2, let's turn there, because yes. as, we, as we talk about the New Testament church, there's probably nothing mm. more quintessential to a New Testament believer's uh, understanding of the church right. than the day of Pentecost, That's right. right? And, you know, and when you even use the term Pentecostal these days, right. we, you will hear immediately pictures come in your mind about like demonstrative worship and music and faith right. healing and all speaking in tongues. And what I find fascinating is, and I'll say this in churches, I'll say, friends, we need to be more Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Not one amen usually, you know, because what they think is, you know, uh, all the things I just listed out. We're going right. to speak in tongues, Holy Roller, all this kind of stuff. But Superficial,
2: when to, external. Right. Yeah. But
0: when you go to the, the book of Acts and you read what actually happened on the day of Pentecost, for instance, there's no mention of music at all on the day of Pentecost. They might have mm-hmm. sung some hymns, but it didn't make the biblical record. Right. There was no faith healings. The speaking in tongues were specifically listed out what languages they spoke. They were earthly, regular languages. Right. Languages
2: they all, below, uh, right. all understood, not so languages what they didn't. So what made the
0: day of Pentecost so powerful? If it wasn't the music, wasn't the healings, right. it wasn't the healings, it wasn't the speaking. Right. Well, it was this sermon that Peter preaches, imbued by the power of the Holy Spirit for right. sure. But when you go to Acts chapter 2, you'll notice that that sermon that Peter preaches is only 26 verses long. But 13 of them, exactly half of them, are direct quotes from Old Testament scripture. He goes from the Psalms, he goes to the prophets, and he outlines who Jesus is and what his ministry was supposed to entail, just like Jesus did on Mm -hmm. the road to Emmaus. He said, ought not the Savior have done these things? If that's what you expected, because the scripture said so. Peter outlines it in the last two verses, he just makes an appeal. And he says, Jesus is currently doing this now as the Savior and Redeemer at the right hand of God. And we know this because scripture said so. And what's powerful, and you look at Acts chapter 2 there, uh, when he says in verse 36, after he quotes these scriptures and explains it to him, he said, Therefore, in light of this Bible study, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's right. So he gave the powerful convict. You remember in, in how Jesus taught? They were astonished because he taught with authority. That's right. Peter now preaches just like Jesus. He said, now I've given you a Bible study. Mm -hmm. Now you see it from Scripture, so you can know assuredly that this is true. And their hearts are convicted. They heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they were baptized, and praise the Lord, their hearts were changed. But the power of Pentecost was not some esoteric, ethereal, experience-driven thing. It was the power of the message found in the Word itself.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I, I just want to, there's so many examples, there's so much to go through. Yeah. you know, the next chapter, because you're talking about Peter cowering and, and initially, and yeah. now he's speaking with boldness, Yes. and in, in, in chapter four, the man's healed in the temple, at the temple gate, and then those same religious leaders that saw Peter deny Christ before, the Bible says they actually come and surround him, <laughs> like it, when you read it, they're really trying to intimidate yet. him, and he just doesn't flinch. No. And he points them out as the, the uh, ones who crucified the Son of God. He quotes scripture as <laughs> yeah. how they rejected the chief cornerstone. Yeah. right? But he preached the word with boldness. And we were talking about this. You go through, just do a word search on preach the word.
0: Yeah, see how many <laughs> New Testament things come up.
2: And, and you'll see all the way through, yeah, all through the New Testament, but the account of the book of Acts. They preached the word, they preached the word, they preached the word, they preached the word. And by the way, at that
0: time, what was the word they had in their hand? They were still living the the New Testament, but this is Old Testament, Psalms, prophecies, Deuteronomy. The very Jesus preached
2: to them. Exactly, the the same model of ministry.
0: They just took what Jesus did and put it into practice and turned the world upside down.
2: That's right. In fact, you make me think of a passage. We talk about Peter, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Oh, yeah. And Paul... You know, it, it, this, is, this is phenomenal in light of the fact that a lot of people talk about Paul as the, you know, he's preaching the gospel of righteousness by faith. And he's, Paul's the one that gets credited for doing away with the Old Testament, doing That's away true. with the law, doing away. That's with, true. And yet, notice what he says here. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. This is Paul's gospel which also you received and in which you stand by, which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according, according to, the, to scriptures, the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according, according to, to the, the scriptures. scriptures, and he was seen by the etc. etc. so two times there he says, hey, my gospel was according to the scriptures. We see Peter preaching according to the scriptures, we see throughout the New Testament accounts they preach the word, they preach the word, they preach the word. You don't get around the fact Mm. that these disciples of Christ, the apostles, were as firmly grounded in the word of God as Jesus, their master, taught them to be and as he was himself.
0: Mercy. And that, what it's, I mean, the the consistency of the Bible in this, and if we take Jesus as our ultimate example, of course, and the apostles who followed in his footsteps, Mm -hmm. we should take that same approach to the scripture today. Let's understand what it says in the plainest terms and do it, and we'll be saved.
2: That's right. Straightforward. And and it makes me think of that passage that we just read, and it says, He opened their understanding, what you just read in in Mm -hmm. Luke, that they might understand the scriptures. We need to be seeking that the Lord would open our understanding. We can read the Bible Amen. like the Pharisees did. We can read the Bible like those men who wanted to test Jesus. And he said, how do you, you know, what's written in the law? Yeah. How, what's your understanding what's your of it? What's your reading of it? Uh, God forbid our reading of it would be that faithless or, faithless or skeptical reading of Mercy.
0: it. Mercy. well. We need to come to a close today, but there's yes. a couple of, uh, of inspired quotes here that really mm-hmm. put in perspective what we've been talking, dealing with. Yes. Uh, the first one is from Signs of the Time, March 27, 1884. I think it was included in the lesson study as yes. well. Uh, but it says here, Men consider themselves wiser than the Word of God, wiser even than God. And instead of planting their feet on the immovable foundation and bringing everything to the test of God's Word, they test that Word by their own ideas of science and mm-hmm. nature and if it seems not to agree with their scientific ideas, it is discarded as unworthy of credence. Now, or we could probably say they're cultural or societal right. or philosophical right. or whatever science be.
2: And it- I like what it says here. It seems not to agree. Right.
0: It's right. Not right. That it if my doesn't.
2: mind can't comprehend, it must right. not be.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and she continues, Thus the great standard, which is the word of God, the yes. standard by which to test doctrines and characters is set aside for human standards. Or so wh- we're going to have said- standards. It's either God's standards or our standards.
2: Right, with the lesson said at the beginning that, that right. either the Bible becomes the test of humanity or humanity tests becomes God, a test, right. or it tests God, right.
0: And then she adds, this is as Satan designed it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, Satan doesn't want to take, obviously he'd be happy to see every Bible burn, every, you know, wipe it from, but he has ingeniously, even even within the Christian church sometimes, yes. allowed people to have the Bible in their hand, read the words, and with their false reading of it and their clouded cultural or scientific or whatever their presupposition is, discredit it so it doesn't make the final application in the okay. heart that it was intended to do.
2: Well, and an unfortunate byproduct of that is for a lot of lay people, they get confused by that Yes. and they say, ah, oh, well, I'm, I'm lost in all this theological jargon, I don't even. B- I'm just going to focus on my relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to study. I'm not that mm. much of a scholar. And and they get away from the or they, they they start to get the idea that it really doesn't matter so much that I know what Scripture says as right. long as I as long as I pray, believe whatever. or have a
0: good relationship, whatever that means. Yeah.
2: And uh, so this last statement we're going to share from Great Controversy it makes this point. It is impossible for us with the Bible within our reach to honor God by erroneous opinions, that is, error. In other words, yeah. I may sincerely believe something wrong, but if I have the opportunity to know what's right and I'm not taking that opportunity.
0: And that's an important little caveat to put yes. in there because you, if I have the opportunity, or the statement said, it's impossible for us, comma, with the Bible within our right. reach, the implication, because there are times when people didn't know things and the Bible's clear, God winks at that ignorance. Sure, the
2: Bible's full of stories. Of
0: yeah, people you're that accountable God for was, what you know, right. you did but here we're not in a position to not know the word of God.
2: What was it? Was it uh, was it Dwight Moody who said that the, most people have enough dust on the cover of their Bible to write da- damnation in the cover? One of those great, <laughs> you know. We have Bibles. Yes. We have multiple. And I, right. as I've gone door to door and interview people and, and about their yeah. spiritual life, I'll ask, "Is there a Bible in the home?" And a lot of times, people say, "Oh, yeah. we got plenty. Yeah. We got several Bibles in my home." Yeah. Like, and then I ask mm-hmm. them, "Do you read it?" And they're like, "Uh." Yeah. Well, maybe not as and much. It as becomes I kind want of a to, Christian yeah. good luck charm or something like yes. that. But
0: the reality is, the Bible was not written to be decorative; it was to be useful, right? That's All right. Scripture is inspired and given for, to be profitable, so That's that we would right. be equipped for every good well, work. Well, notice what it goes on yeah. to say:
2: impossible for us, with the Bible within our reach, to honor God by erroneous opinions. Many claim that it matters not what one believes if his life is only right. But oh the man, life I've heard that a
0: thousand times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and I'm a good it, guy, or I
2: generally am practicing. You know, it's kind of true. But as it goes on to say, but the life is molded by the faith. Your life can't be right if you have a misunderstanding of Scripture right. when the Bible's within your reach. Exactly. The life is molded by the faith. If light and truth is within our reach, there's that caveat again, that qualifier. If light and truth is within our reach and we neglect to improve the privilege of hearing and seeing it, we virtually reject it. Oof. We are choosing darkness rather than light.
0: Which, by the way, that's a phrase lifted from John chapter 3 when the interview yes. with Nicodemus, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men preferred darkness. They chose darkness over light because their deeds were evil. Right. They just didn't want to go. I don't think that a lot of times, especially in our context where there's preaching available and there's Bibles in hand, that the reason people don't follow the Word of God isn't because they know it.
2: That's right. It's
0: because they choose not to know it. They don't want to know it because they know it's going to lead somewhere that's going to contradict a pet habit or something. They just don't want to be part of it. But you notice in that statement that Mrs. White ties neglect to reject. Mm. That if we practice a lifestyle of neglecting to study the Word of God, it is essentially or will culminate in an outright rejection of the Word of God. If I could know it and I choose not to, that's willful ignorance. It's not just uh, ignorance that God can wink at. He said, I've been trying to talk. You just didn't want to listen.
2: Because I'm typically just prioritizing other things above it.
0: That's right. So one of the lessons we can take away of the many things we could draw from this week's lesson is not only should we trust the Bible and know that it's reliable and accurate and it's a good, you know, solid biblical divine Mm -hmm. book, but we got to read it. We got to follow it. We got to actually let it change us.
2: That's right. And one of the things we've talked about in the middle of this COVID crisis is that God is as much as He does not will these tragedies to happen, yet He permits things like this to happen to help us to realize the frailty of mm. this world. That's yeah, so true. And to turn our attention to the heavenly world. And of all times, what a time for us to get back into Scripture. Mercy. To, to, to take hold of the promises of Scripture, to believe them mm-hmm. like Jesus did, like the apostles did, and, and to anchor our hope in the Word of God.
0: So true. Friends, we want to challenge you to be back in the Word of God, not just a habit, but as a lifestyle, as a part of our existence as Christians in this world, because we see that this world is shaky. But soon and very soon, Jesus has come again, and we want to be ready for that day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to know you through a study of your word. Lord, help us to, yes, be familiar with the stories and the facts and the figures, but more importantly, Lord, let let the information go to transformation. Let this cutting word of God do its work in our heart. Let us become more like Jesus. Let us trust and have the faith of Jesus. We know that difficult times are prophesied to come, but we want to not just make it to the second coming. We want to make it through the second coming. We want to be ready for Jesus. So, Lord, let us be familiar with his word. Let it hide it. Let us hide it in our hearts. We might not sin against you. And when Jesus comes, and that day is soon, we can say, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.